have a set happiness point. And often what happens when we experience a honeymoon period is that we blast past that set happiness point. But at some point we return essentially to ourselves and then we get upset at our partners for not saving us from our pain when it was really never their job. Welcome to Perennials, a podcast about growing up, getting wise, and trying to live a good life. I'm Victoria Russell. Today is Valentine's Day, and I'm sharing a conversation about true love that I recorded with Sarah Kessner. Sarah is a certified professional coach who received her training through Leadership That Works, coaching for transformation at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. She specializes in coaching highly sensitive people and helping them to navigate transitions with greater ease and less anxiety. So today, Sarah and I are talking about some common myths about love that we hear in our culture. Um, Myths like, for instance, you should just know that you're with the right one. And if if you experience any doubt, that means something's wrong. And the truth is that love isn't fixed and attraction isn't fixed and our feelings are going to ebb and flow and that's okay that's normal and that happens to everyone especially when you've been with someone past a honeymoon stage if you ever had one and i think that this is something that applies not just to our romantic partners or you know our long-term committed relationships with a boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse I think a lot of this can apply to all of the loving relationships we have in our lives because we can have all sorts of expectations about what it means to be a good best friend or a good sibling or a good daughter or son or parent. And sometimes those expectations about how it should be and the fear that somehow we or the other person or the relationship is bad or wrong because it's not perfect in this way that we think it should be, it can just really get in the way of us being able to be present with the people that we love and with the experience of loving. So I hope that this conversation with Sarah just helps you to bring more compassion to yourself and the people that you love today, wherever you are and whatever today looks like for you. I love you guys. Thank you for listening. Okay, so Sarah, thank you so much for being here with me. We are in the the beautiful Madison, New Jersey Public Library meeting room. (laughs) And um, we're here to talk about love and true love and some of the myths around love. And I know this is something that um, you work with, with your clients, you talk about this. Um, with your coaching clients and in your own life, you've had a journey with this. So I really wanted to start with what are some of the early stories and messages that you took on about love and romance? And, um, you know, so when you were a kid, when you were growing up, maybe as a teenager, young adult, whatever, what were those messages that you took on and how did you see them kind of informing the way that you approached your relationships? Great first question. Um, Immediately, I have so many thoughts bouncing around in my head. Um, I think it's very telling that my my favorite book growing up when I was 
young and it was a book that I memorized even before I could read was the Disney version of Cinderella. And um, of course, as a young girl, I was obsessed with this story and I feel like it really imprinted on my young mind that one day a man would come and would rescue me uh, from my pain um, and take me away and I would be live as they say happily ever after um, and of course what is so important about to remember about all of these fairy tales is that they end with and they lived happily ever after they end at the beginning of the love story right we don't have the fairy tale of um, Cinderella and the prince after they've had a child um, the child's six months old and isn't sleeping through the night and they're struggling with their finances and uh, about where they uh, want to live if they want to live in the city castle or the country castle (laughs) all of that is never dealt with (laughs) So um, that's one way that, um, that's one uh, mistruth that I absorbed about love and relationships from a young age. Um, some other more subtle, what I call them, false beliefs that I uh, absorbed about relationships, um, I was bullied very, very badly as a young child in school. And um, I think that that false belief that led to a false belief of um, that I'm not really worthy of love and belonging, um, that no one will ever love me, um, that there's obviously something terribly wrong with me. Um, so that was a uh, belief that I absorbed as a child. Um, you know, from my direct experience. Um, And then there were other stories and beliefs that I absorbed based on the relationships that I saw around me. Um, My parents did not have what I would call uh, a happy marriage. There was a lot of tension in our house growing up. And, and of course, all marriages have moments of tension and moments of happiness and moments of discord. But um, what I absorbed most from my family of origin growing up was a feeling of tension and um, a lack of, um, the word safety comes to mind. And it's not that there was ever, I never felt like there was a lack of physical safety, but it was more emotional safety that I didn't really feel there was space for that. Um, And um, my parents divorced when I was, when I had just graduated college, which um, is of course a huge period of transformation, tran- transition, transformation as well, but tran- transition. 
And so I was going through this huge period of transition, living on my own for the first time, um, trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And I was really knocked completely over by this huge transition of my parents' divorce, um, which I then absorbed very much as, especially because of the um, circumstances of the divorce, which were very, very messy and frankly traumatic. Um, And so I absorbed the belief that relationships really aren't safe. That's the most beautiful uh, first answer ever. Um, (laughs) No, I mean, that was just so wonderful that you hit on cultural messages, internal beliefs formed by your experiences outside of your family, and then also the modeling that you got in your family. That's like, you know, it all informs how we see love and relationships. And I think that that idea of the Cinderella story is just so, like you said, archetypal. And I mean, I certainly, I grew up watching Disney and reading a lot of fairy tales and um, watching a lot of romantic comedies. And you're right, the stories always end at the beginning and we don't see real relationships represented. And and, and the idea of being rescued by a man, I think, I certainly identify with. Um, and I think now there's the added layer of like feeling ashamed of that because it's 2020. You're not supposed to think as a woman that you're not supposed to have a desire to be rescued by a man. So I think that that's super common. And um, I also just want to say that this is another way that women just can't get it right right because um just like women are expected to breastfeed and then go back to work three months after giving birth and work 40 hours a week and continue to pump for the next year and never give their baby a drop of formula right just like in that way like we're also expected for men to uh for men to not rescue us but we're also expected to uh, find a good catch, whatever that means. Find a great partner for us who fulfills all of our needs, right? Who's always there and who's sensitive, but not too sensitive, who makes a lot of money, who has a great career, but is always home by 5.30, right? It's just another way that there are these impossible expectations laid upon us and and not just women I mean men also it's everyone in the culture who is suffering because of the paradigm we're living in Um, but um, it's there's there's all this pressure and then there's also just all this paradox and it's this paradox sets us up for constantly feeling like we are failing Mm -hmm. there is no real way that you can succeed because the culture has made it so impossible right I think that it could be it could be a good place to kind of segue into talking specifically about some of these myths about love um I think just naming some of them is really helpful 
one myth I think that a lot of people have or that they hear from others that when you meet the quote right person, you should quote, just know, right? Like you should just know that it's right, that this person is right. Of course, there are going to be doubts and uncertainties, but I know that this can be really tricky because there are some people who will say like, yeah, I just knew. Um, And so I think it's important to know that people are just different and there's not something wrong with you if you're someone who experiences a lot of ambivalence in life. (laughs) Generally, you're probably going to experience it in the realm of your relationship as well. Like if you um, are really attuned to all of your doubts or uncertainties or all the threats in a certain situation or everything that could go wrong or, you know, you're probably going to be attuned to that in your relationship as well, right? Absolutely. So what what I always feel like is important to say about that is that there are definitely people out there who feel like they just know. They just know that they are marrying the right person or that they did marry the right person. And that's wonderful for them. And at the same time, that actually doesn't guarantee anything in their relationship, right? Because we're all living with the fact that we don't know what's going to happen in the future. So while they might feel like this person is the one, right? That doesn't actually guarantee them anything. And in some ways, if you struggle with ambivalence, you are being gifted the opportunity to deal with something that many couples face at some point, many if not all couples face at some point in their lives when the honeymoon period has worn off, right? Sometimes when kids have come into the picture, midlife happens, or some other crisis occurs, a loss of a job, when the thought comes up, hmm, like, do I really want to do this with this person? Do I really want to continue this with this person? And if you are someone who's lucky enough to have struggled with ambivalence in relationship, you actually have a leg up (laughs) on all the other people who just knew and all of a sudden are like, hmm, hmm, about that just knowing. (laughs) now that I'm being faced with, you know, my partner cheating on me or, you know, job loss, all all the things that can happen in life, which are completely and totally beyond our control, right? You have a leg up because you have put your relationship under the microscope, right? You've raked it through the coals. You've really looked at everything and been like, hmm, is this someone that I am choosing to move forward into life with? Yeah, and chances are that in that process, you've also had to attune to yourself and become more aware of your patterns and your beliefs and your assumptions. Yeah, and and just to add on to that is when you do have the luck of having struggled with ambivalence in your relationship and a point earlier on in the relationship or the marriage, then you have the wisdom to realize that it actually isn't about the relationship most of the time. 
It's about your own childhood wounds, as we talked about earlier in the podcast, right? It's about all the stress that I'm feeling at work or us having a new baby and that being uh, adding a lot of stress just into our lives in general, right? Or it's about my best friend's divorce or my parents' divorce, and now I'm projecting that fear onto the relationship, right? Um, Well, if you're in a healthy relationship um, that you, and you know that when you're not looking at your relationship through the eyes of fear, then, um, then you can learn to relax into that, to trust that, that it isn't actually about the relationship, that it's about your own inner work. And that's why it is a gift, ultimately, right? That people who don't struggle with this, but then maybe in midlife or at some other point come to a place of ambivalence, and then they don't have the tools that you have in order to navigate um, that shift. It's really funny because I said to my therapist a couple weeks ago, I was like, I wish that I wasn't so sensitive and wasn't so aware of all these things and could just live out the first like 40 years of my life in blissful ignorance and then just have a midlife crisis <laughs> and uh, deal with it then or whatever. Like I, I wish I could just be blissfully kind of unaware and just kind of have like, yeah, I just know and everything's fine and I'm not thinking, you know, like oh, I have, you know, these thoughts here and then, but I can just kind of push them aside. Um, because I think, yeah, it, it can be, scary to know that um uh to know that you don't know (laughs) it can be scary and it's funny because like you said I mean there are people who just know all sorts of things and then um it doesn't necessarily turn out the way that they think it will I I was paying attention to this when I I was watching the great British bake-off recently a lot (laughs) and I was paying attention whenever someone said my gut is telling me to do this um oftentimes those people were wrong it was really interesting um that's really interesting i'm not saying it's always wrong but i was very careful when someone said like i don't know my gut is just saying to do it this other this way um oftentimes they did something that then the judge was like oh this didn't bake properly because because of the exact the exact thing that they said my gut is just telling me to do this And so I'm not trying to like freak people out by saying don't listen to your gut or, you know, (laughs) like your gut is wrong. But just that it's this phrase that we hear a lot or this thing that we hear a lot, like just listen to your gut. Um, And it is important to be in tune with yourself, but just that that's not necessarily as simple as it sounds. And you can have gut feelings that aren't necessarily going to lead you to, um, I don't know, like... I don't want to say the right thing because, you you know, that doesn't exist. But your gut feelings can come from all sorts of different places and are not necessarily, like, leading you to this white light of enlightenment, I guess. 
Yeah, that's so important. We get the message all the time to trust your gut, like your gut is some infallible thing, and it's not. Your gut is one metric that you could use to make a choice, but that metric is not infallible. And um, the, the issue that I take with follow your gut is that when you're in a place where fear is driving the bus of your life, it is actually impossible to hear what your gut is really saying because you're in fight or flight mode, right? Or freeze, fight, fight, or freeze. So that's all your gut is telling you is get out of here, (laughs) right? Or you're going to die, right? And unless you're being chased by a bear, which you might be in Madison, New Jersey, (laughs) more likely a bear just like eating garbage out of a garbage can. (laughs) Not very likely, right? (laughs) That your gut isn't going to necessarily steer you in a trajectory that is the most loving, most wise, right? And so... It's more useful to make choices from a place of, is this in alignment with what my values are, right? Because that's something that doesn't change right? nearly as much as gut feelings. Yeah, and similarly, um, just like your, your gut feelings can change, Um, your feelings towards your partner can change from minute to minute, day to day, month to month, year to year. Um, And so the other myth is that if you don't feel head over heels with your partner all the time, something's wrong. And um, people have different experiences with this. Some people have a honeymoon stage that eventually um, ends some people never have a honeymoon stage. But at some point, like you're saying, like at some point, if you're in a long-term committed relationship with somebody, you're going you're gonna to have to face the fact that you don't feel the same way you felt in the beginning or you know, at a certain peak time. Or maybe you're not sure if you've ever felt the way you quote unquote should, like the way that Cinderella felt that night of the ball, you know? Um, and I think that this can, it can pop up in different areas, right? Like it can just be like, oh, I don't feel butterflies or um, I don't feel, do I really feel in love as opposed to like friendship or I don't feel as attracted to my partner anymore or I don't feel like I want to have sex as much anymore or at all or what, however that can pop up with people. So I'm just curious to hear you talk about that myth of if you're not feeling head over heels Um, something's wrong. So I would actually say if you're not feeling head over heels, then something is right. Because (laughs) this feeling of feeling head over heels is, is a drug, right? It's essentially drug induced, right? Your body has released all of these hormones that, you know, course through your body when you are 
in that initial honeymoon phase that make you feel what we label as head over heels, but it's not sustainable for a long-term relationship. It's, it's certainly not sustainable if you have a child to, to raise your child right, in this environment of being head over heels with your partner and unable to keep your hands off of them and you know just thinking that they're wonderful all of the time. right? It's not wouldn't be normal realistic or maybe possibly even safe probably even safe (laughs) to be operating from that place so it's not only um nothing to worry about it wouldn't be healthy if you were in that uh mode a hundred percent of the time all the time feeling annoyed with your partner is normal feeling angry with your partner is normal feeling Um, grief about how partner didn't fulfill a need is normal and feeling happy is normal feeling open is also normal it's all normal is what I'm saying and that um, we get into trouble when we try to say to our when we say to ourselves well am i happy enough right that word enough or should those are two key words that set us up for this constant internal measuring that is not is going to take us out of connection with our partner right so it's going to do um the opposite of what we're actually looking for. Um, It's going to put us into disconnection. Um, And it's a question also that can't be answered again, right? How would you ever know if you, um, how you should really be feeling or if you are feeling enough love or happiness with your partner? And I think it's also important to note that we as human beings have a set happiness point, right? Regardless of whether or not we're in relationship. And often what happens when we um, experience a honeymoon period is that we blast past that set happiness point, right? Which is why it feels like we're on drugs and it feels amazing, like this fantasy, but at some point we return to our set happiness point and we return essentially to ourselves, to the people that we always were. And then we get upset at our partners for not saving us from our pain when it was really never their job to save us from our pain to begin with. It's our job to work with our pain and to meet ourselves. Um, there's a quote that I like that I can't recall who said it and I'm paraphrasing it and that is is that our partners can't make us happy they can only support us in our own happiness right so when we are doing things that fill us up inside right that connect us to what makes us feel alive and happy um, which is often you know getting into nature, being creative. Um, Often it's doing things that we enjoyed doing as children that as we've gotten older, we've disconnected from. 
when we are hooked into that, then our partner can support us in our happiness and in our aliveness, right? And those are often the moments or the periods of time where we feel um, that um, sort of that inkling of what it was like to first be with our partner. Right? So when we are, what happens after the butterfly stage wears off is when we reconnect to ourselves right? and to healing our own wounds that, ah, oh, okay, now I'm moving towards healing myself and reigniting myself inside. And what am I noticing? I'm noticing more opening and more desire and more connection with my partner, right? Not because they've done anything different, or they're different in any way, but because I have deepened my relationship with myself, right? Rather than abandoning myself and expecting someone else to save me, right? Which what often happens in people who have love addictions is that People will flit from relationship to relationship searching for that next high. Right? And it's only when you are brave enough, courageous enough, and willing enough, willing enough um, to look at that and to have the desire to break that cycle that the real learning begins. That at some point it's not changing something external. It's about looking at what's going on internally and making shifts there. Yeah, it makes me think that all of this can really apply to any loving relationship that we have. Like the way that um, we approach people, that idea of enough, you know, or should. Like you could experience this with a friend or with a sibling or a parent or any significant a child child, yeah absolutely um and i've heard people sometimes people of ocd um you know wrestling with the intrusive thought of do i love my child you know and that's something that if you have relationship ocd you know and you're wondering do i love my partner um when you realize that actually love is just so like what is enough love or enough happiness like those are impossible things to answer and Um, but because culturally we have such big myths about our romantic partners, just as we do about like what a mother should be or do for her child, what a child should do for the mother and, you know, what your partner should be able to do for you. Um, and we just have so much comparison at our fingertips now. It's like absolutely overwhelming. Like it's not just books and movies and songs and the people in our immediate community. It's everyone everywhere all around the world and exactly what they want to show us on social media about their relationship. (laughs) And something that that I find really interesting about that is that I think sometimes it's easier for us to talk about um, our experience of breaking up or being single, you know, choosing to leave a relationship than all of the complexity of being in one because um, when you're when you're in a relationship, you want to protect the other person's privacy and the privacy of the relationship, and you're still in it, so you 
you're trying to be really careful about how how much you share. But it, it's just kind of interesting because it's almost easier to talk about, you know, a relationship after the fact or your experience of leaving one um, than it is to actually talk about like all of the complexities of being in one. And I think that also can kind of go for different types of relationships as well, because you don't want to hurt the other person like they're they have a big part of the story, too. So I'm just thinking about how it makes it it's hard for us to actually um, sometimes feel that we're not alone in um, some of these things that we struggle with because um, when we just see so many stories of what seem like perfection or whatever and we don't hear the stories full of complexity about real relationships, it can just make you feel very alone with um, yeah, how much happiness is enough because everyone else seems to have the perfect relationship with their mom or sister or partner or baby, you know? Yeah. Um, it's really an epidemic in our culture, right? This culture of constant comparison. And there are so many platforms now in which we can compare the outsides of other people's lives, the 0.1% that they want to show on any given day with the insides of our lives, which of course isn't a fair comparison in any way. And why I think it's so, so important for all of us to get off our phones if possible and to go have tea with a trusted friend or family member member or coach or therapist or mentor and someone that we can really trust to have real conversations and what I have found actually in my life and it's not exclusively true which is why it's a risk is that when we take the risk to be to be vulnerable is that it pays off. You know, a few months ago, I had a conversation with my sister and I said to her, you know, I've been really struggling with feeling anxious lately. And my sister said, oh, me too. And um, it was such a relief to be able to share that moment with her. And we'd had you know, several conversations prior to that where it was just spent, you know, talking about the kids or the kids doing FaceTime with each other. But we actually had a, a real moment to have a conversation, just the two of us, which is harder now that we both have small ones, and to let that mask down and let ourselves really be seen. And it's powerful for us to do it. And it's often very powerful for the person to receive it because it allows them to let their mask down as well. And that actually leads really nicely into another myth, which we have also touched upon already. But the idea that, that this person should save you, complete you, fulfill you, be the only person that you need in life. <laughs> um, you know, what you just said really points to the importance of having other relationships that are 
places of safety and refuge for you and connection. And that actually the more support that two people in a partnership have around them, I think the happier they are, the more likely they are to um, have a healthy relationship. And it's kind of funny because it's like that drug high of falling in love that that we talked about can sometimes lead you to lose the very things about yourselves that drew you to each other in the first place. Like when you, if you kind of have that high and then maybe you get comfortable in your relationship and, and you just kind of feel like, oh, cool, now I don't have to go out and, you know, I don't have to go out so much. I don't have to... Um, I don't know, you get comfortable maybe, and and that's a good thing, but if you start to get kind of isolated in that relationship too, um, you can start to just lose the things about yourselves that actually drew you to each other. And sometimes that's losing touch with friends who um, brought out different sides of you or kind of enhanced different parts of you. Uh, it's just funny how like, it's it, it's that paradox again. It's like you are drawn to each other you were drawn to each other for a reason at some point. And then the more that you feel like, oh, this part, this relationship, either it's like, this is my, this is going to save me and keep me safe. Or um, this is my hiding place. Or like this relationship is fragile and I have to protect it and give it my everything because I'm terrified of losing it. Um, the, the worse it is for the relationship, right? Um, because that person can't save you and complete you and totally fulfill you. Like they just can't do that and they, it's impossible. Yeah, exactly right. When we expect one person to be our everything, we are setting them up for failure. There's no way one person can be your everything. Um, and just as it sometimes happens that in the beginning of a relationship, we feel completely essentially fused with that person, like we've become one, right? Just as that can be a normal phase of a relationship, it is also normal to separate, right? And this doesn't just happen in romantic relationships. Most recently, I experienced it with my son who just turned three, you know? In the beginning of the relationship with my son, I just wanted to be with him 100% of the time. I felt completely fused to him. I was so in love with him, and I still am, but it's different now, right? He was an, essentially an extension of me, but he couldn't stay that forever, and I wouldn't want him to stay that forever, right? At a certain point, it is healthy for us to separate and for me to need time to be myself and in myself pursuing the things that I love and for Sam to be himself and pursuing doing and being the beautiful things that he loves to be and do. And that doesn't mean that our relationship is any less than it was. Um, it just means that it's changed, right? And the same is true in intimate relationships. There comes 
in the beginning of relationships, oftentimes you want to do every single thing together and you want to eat the same things and you want to go to the same places. And, or even if you don't, it doesn't really matter <laughs> because you just kind of be like, well, I just want to be with this person, <laughs> right? You want to like fuse. And then at a certain point, there's a separation that happens and that's natural and it's normal. And all of a sudden, you always want to eat different things and go to different places. And that's okay, you know? It's okay and healthy not to have all the same interests and to want to eat the same things all the time. And really, you know, there's a reason why they say that the key to long-term relationships, one of the keys is compromise because that is so often uh, what it is about. It's like, okay, how can we come to an agreement? Because we are not one person. We are two people. You know what's interesting too is that just kind of made me think about how if you are someone who's very used to fusing with another person, and then you do kind of get to this phase of separateness. Um, you can either A, feel like something's wrong, or B, almost become really protective of your separateness, but in a, in a way that's almost, that can be combative or like that doesn't have um, softness around it. Um, and something I've been thinking about is when you, when you are in a, you know, a long-term relationship, like, how do you kind of communicate your wants and your needs and your need for separateness in a loving way? I think sometimes the person who maybe is more sensitive, like you said, who experiences more overwhelm and you're worried about kind of losing yourself, you know, like how do you communicate that without it constantly, without it coming off as criticism or, um, is that, does that question make sense? I know it's a little convoluted. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, so what comes up for me first is, um, and it, it's coming up for me because this is true for me. And it might be true for you and for your listeners, and it might not. So if I'm feeling like my needs are not being honored in the relationship or for me that's a projection and it's coming out of um as a child my needs not being honored or met very rarely right i'm gonna say that my parents also did the very best they could and it's not about um, shaming or blaming my parents, but they had four kids, right? And so it was impossible to meet everyone's needs, right? And so when I'm feeling like I'm having to be really hard in my boundaries, recognizing that this is an old wound that has been re-triggered is helpful for me. Right, so recognizing, ah, this is an old wound. Then what I think is good practice is before you go to a partner to complain or to criticize or to nag, to do some journaling about it. 
And so you can get really clear. Is this actually something that I'm needing them to change? Or is there a core wound that's being triggered here that I actually need to look at that has very little to do with them, right? Um, And oftentimes, if you take the time to, um, to do some inner work around that, whatever that looks like for you, and that could take different forms. It could take the form of journaling, dialoguing. It could take the form of going for a walk, right, and just doing some thinking and or talking out loud about it or doing something physical. Oftentimes, the result is, oh, this really doesn't have anything to do with him. This is triggering something old in me that I, I need to release in some way. And then there's a softness that comes in. When you have taken care of this, what I would call an inner child who has been triggered in some way, then even if the need still needs to be expressed to the partner, it is often, if not exclusively, expressed in a much more gentle and vulnerable way. Right? that perhaps even talks about, you know, when you do this thing, it, it reminds me of when my mom did this and I'm struggling with that, right? So you're not blaming the other person. You're saying, I'm triggered because of an old childhood wound. Can we talk about this, right? So it's more of a collaboration rather than a, you need to do the dishes immediately. (laughs) And also to also recognize that there are issues in every relationship that are not solvable. Mm -hmm. They're just not solvable. And every couple has them. And that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong or bad about your relationship it's every relationship you know my husband leaves his coat on a chair every single time he comes in it doesn't matter how many times I ask him to hang up his coat when he comes in it's he just leaves it on the chair right and so you know that's one of you know that's a silly example but it's one of those pretty much unsolvable issues. And I know that he has a whole list for me too. <laughs> yeah, I heard um, Got- John Gottman. I remember him uh, hearing a talk where he said, I think, where he said something like, you're going to have the same problems forever with that the person that you're with for a long time because like, there are going to be certain things about your personalities that just keep coming up that aren't solvable, that you just keep kind of negotiating. And so again, if you don't think anything's wrong with that, you just know, yeah, we're just two human beings who are different people trying to live together (laughs) and love each other, then you don't feel as much like anger or resentment or whatever it may be um, about the fact that things aren't perfect all the time. Yes, and I think it's also important to say that you can change the relationship 
And then you might not have those problems anymore, but you'll have a different set of problems. (laughs) So there's never going to be any relationship that you get into that's just going to be, you know, Prince Charming and Cinderella living happily ever after. Um, A great article that I often like to uh, refer my clients to, especially clients that are uh, in the marriage transition, is uh, Why You Will Marry the Wrong Person by uh, Alain de Botton. It's a uh, New York Times op-ed that was published a couple years ago that it was the most widely read and shared article in New York Times in in the New York Times the year was published. And so really, and there's a reason for that is because people might not be talking about it with each other, right? But it really resonated with a lot of people. Yeah, that's that's one of those things that if you can sit down with a friend or a sibling or whoever for for tea and say does it ever bother you when this happens? Or, you know, like, are there any issues you guys have that you just can't ever really solve? You just keep, kind of keep working on? They're going to say yes. Yeah. And you're going to probably laugh. And laughter is like a great, <laughs> a great medicine for all of this. Um, yeah, I read that article and um, I thought that was so helpful. Um, and so, I, yeah, I want to move to the, the last myth that I have on my list, although I'm sure there's many more. Um, the idea that you can't love someone until you've learned how to love yourself. And it's a tricky one because it's, again, kind of a paradox. Um, but there sometimes is this idea like you have to be single for X amount of time or, you know, for some people they meet, you know, a partner very young and they've never really been single as an adult or not very, you know, not very much. And, or for someone else, maybe it's, they were in a relationship and, um, break up and then they're single for a short amount of time and they meet someone and it's like, oh no, not yet. You know, (laughs) like I didn't, I wasn't single long enough. And again, it's that enough thing of like some idea of like, there's some perfect time when you are allowed to meet someone and get into a relationship (laughs) And that there's some perfect amount that you can learn to love yourself before you can love someone else. And the paradox, I think, is like, yes, you do really have to learn about loving yourself so that you can have a healthy, loving relationship with another person. But you learn about love through relationship, right? So it's, it you know, you can't quite, you can't learn about, you can't learn how to love yourself in a vacuum, right? This is so important. I'm so glad that you're bringing this into the conversation. Um, So, yeah, it's a powerful myth. Well, I can't really love someone until I learn to love myself. And I remember really struggling with that in my 20s, especially. Being like, I don't even, like, I have no idea how to love myself. And yet, you know, I was in... um, one relationship for all of my 20s um and so what i think is most important to say about that is yes you do have to learn your love to love yourself and learning to love yourself 
is a lifelong journey. And it's also not a linear journey. Sometimes we're doing a really good job at loving and accepting ourselves for who we are and offering ourselves self-compassion. And then sometimes we get really triggered by something and we feel like we hate ourselves and we're just not able to extend that compassion to ourselves and we get frustrated with ourselves and when we end up even going further down the rabbit hole of self-hate, right? Thinking, oh, why am I feeling this way? I shouldn't be feeling this way. Oh, and I had done all this work on myself and now look at me, I'm such a mess, right? We can really spiral, right? And 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 get into a, a place that is just really not helpful and, or loving for ourselves. But that doesn't mean that all the work that we've done is for naught. Just means that we've been triggered in an area of our life where we haven't been triggered before. Right? And this is why it's important to say that we, yes, we should, uh, we should be working on loving ourselves, and that is a lifelong process. And there is no endpoint to it, right? It's a journey. And so as long as we are on the journey, we can also be in relationships. And even if you haven't been on the journey and are in relationship, then there's no time like the present to start the journey of self-love. But um, what will often happen is we'll be doing really good in our lives and feeling like, oh, wow, I, I'm feeling very grounded. I've got a great yoga practice. My self-care is like A-game. I'm feeling so healthy and good. And then we get into a relationship and all of a sudden we're like, wait a minute, what happened? I was doing amazing and now I'm in this relationship and all my old anxiety is back and um, I'm finding myself slipping into old patterns and then we you know find it easy to blame it on the relationship and the fact is is that unless there are true red flags in the relationship which is an entirely different story very likely it is that the relationship is triggering stuff in you that it would be impossible to work on as a single person. Relationships are very, very fertile ground for deep inner work. They bring up so much stuff that when we're not in relationship is just lying dormant, waiting for us to look at it when we have taken the very courageous, brave, and scary step of moving towards intimacy. Um, there's an, an article that I love um, that was published a couple years ago by Lion's Roar magazine called Intimate Relationship as a spiritual crucible and it's all about how relationships are our most um, 
relationships are our deepest opportunities for growth because they are the the charnel ground as it says in the article where everything is mixed up and all the old stuff is brought to the surface as an opportunity to look at and to heal many Many wise people say that the whole reason why we have an adulthood and adult relationships is so that we can heal the wounds of our childhood. And that's not always going to feel good. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's so funny because people are always so surprised if I say like, yeah, I have a temper or I get really jealous or I can be really impatient and... Um, I remember even saying that to my Aunt Cheryl and her being like, I can't picture you having a temper. And I was like, well, just ask my mom or my boyfriend. Like there are certain things that I'm sure friends have known me for a long time. Like they certainly have seen different parts of me, but like nothing like what my mom and my boyfriend have seen (laughs) and experienced from me, which is like there are moments where it's like, you know, or people who know me from work are like, you're so calm, you're so patient, you're so nice, you know? And I'm like, yeah. I mean, A, you have no idea what's going on inside my brain, but if you look at my most intimate relationships, like all of this old stuff can come right to the surface in like an instant. Um, And it's so painful and it's so humbling because yeah you could be like oh at work I'm this great person I feel great about myself and then you get home and the dishes aren't done and you flip out you know (laughs) And, and what that tells you though is that at the core you are so comfortable with your boyfriend that you feel like you can truly be yourself which is the unedited version which means that he gets to see you at your best sometimes and sometimes at your worst and probably most often just in between, right? But really the Victoria behind the mask, which is ultimately healthy, right? It's ultimately the only sustainable way to have a relationship is to be able to be who you are uh, behind the mask. The mask is like so much more comfortable. (laughs) I'm going to ask you a last um, big question, partially because I just saw a librarian walk by and like look at me and I realized I booked this room till three. So like we might hear a librarian come in and say, get out. Um, But hopefully we have a few minutes. Uh, uh, I don't think people are like banging down the door. Um, so keeping all of that in mind, what is true love? Wow. Well, I think that true love is the bond that exists underneath all the noise. Um, it, true love is the safety that allows the mask to fall and to be vulnerable with one another and authentic and truthful and loving and also to 
have the hard conversations, right? That provides the safety in which to do that. I also I also love the metaphor of true love being like a a warm bowl of oatmeal. Mm-hmm. You know, as well that there is something comforting in that. It's not very sexy, mm-hmm. right? Um, but that there is uh, that trust that it's there and it's good and it's nourishing and wholesome and there's something in it that is very much taking care of one another. Even when you don't feel like taking care of one another. Um, True love, I think, is also um, supporting one another in each other's separateness. To um, to trust that um, you and your partner can have separateness, and that you can come back together in a relationship, and that separateness actually strengthens it rather than makes it um, something that is uh, weak or fragile. And true love is also, it it is also a feeling, Mm -hmm. and it's the feeling of deep connection, that we don't feel all the time because we're busy and we've got to get kids to bed and off to school and we've got jobs to do and people to meet and but it's when that drops away and when we're able to drop down out of the headspace into the place of the heart that we can really feel that deep connection that trust no that word trust feels like a important piece and and just lastly i think it's true love is also about compassion you know it's about compassion for ourselves and it's also about compassion for our partners right that our partners aren't perfect and that we love them and accept them for who they are Yeah, that was just a, a little light question that, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I was like, we're going to get kicked out of here in a minute. So what is true love? I didn't warn you about this question. <laughs> I'm giving you two minutes. Um, that was beautiful. Thank you. Sometimes people, I know I'll see like on Cheryl's Instagram uh, when she talks about common questions from people about relationships, like maybe I'm just with this person because it's safe and we have we have this cultural notion that that's a bad thing, (laughs) that you're safe with the person, you know, that uh, with your partner. But the true safety of actually feeling that this person loves and accepts me and knows me and I trust them. And that is like, what else could you ask for? (laughs) And it's a rare thing. It's not something to be thrown away lightly. It is a rare thing. 
to have a partner that loves you and accepts you for who you are, that you can drop your mask around. It is a rare thing. It is something to be cherished as not just, oh, well, I'm just with this person because they're safe. Awesome. You have a partner with whom you feel safe. That's great. You're lucky. You're not partnered with someone who is um, avoidant or dismissive or who is just completely a distancer. That's wonderful. Yeah, so I just wanted to throw that in there because I, I think that does come up for people too. Um, okay, one last really quick question. This is just something I ask everyone um, because this is a show about growing up and I really like the idea that you're never really done growing up. Like it's a lifelong process. <laughs> um, so I always like to ask people what's something that you're learning about or growing into right now? I mean, becoming a mom has rocked me to my core and recently uh, I kind of went through a trifecta of transitions that all occurred within you know a couple years of one another becoming a mom turning 40 um and um having my mom uh, decide that she wanted to become a nun. Um, and also moving, moving houses, moving apartments. Right? So that's four, actually. <laughs> um, so that was a really big, those were some big earthquakes. And a lot of stuff came up for me that um, I was, I'd been, been really solid for a really, really long time. And all of a sudden it was like, ugh, here I am a newborn again. <laughs> this is so uncomfortable. <laughs> um, and really the the cosmic questions that I feel like I'm grappling with right now are uh, it's funny because I think that um we're you know spiritually I think we are sent to earth to learn certain lessons and we're learning the same lessons for our entire life, just at deeper and deeper levels. And so this crisis or opportunity um, brought with it a deeper um, grappling of fear of uncertainty in terms of um, um, in terms of uh, like global, global uncertainty, eco um, uncertainty because of where we are uh, with what's happening with the planet right now. Um, and so what I am grappling with 
is really allowing myself to trust. Because what I have found every single time in my life is that when I drop below um, the stories that I'm telling myself, the negative fantasies, the anxiety, and drop into trust, that what I always hear from my inner wisdom is that it's all going to be okay. And so what is being asked of me right now, I feel like, is to drop into that trust that it is all going to be okay. Um, and that doesn't mean that um, we shouldn't do anything or be complacent at all. Um, in, if anything, it's, it's energized me um, in a very profound way to do a lot. Um, but that also, that I don't want to be operating from a place of fear and panic, because that's not serving anyone. Um, and that I need to be operating from a place of deep trust. And so all these transitions have just opened up in me um, an opportunity to trust in a deeper way than I have had to trust before, right? Before it was, you know, trust extending into my intimate relationships and to my family at large. And now it's being, I'm being called to widen that circle of trust um, into not just the world at large, but, you know, the, the cosmos. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> I think my, um, one of my number one things that I wrestle with is just that trust. I mean, I think a lot for a lot of people, I mean, fundamentally uh, trusting yourself, trusting other people and trusting that everything's going to be okay. It's just the most vulnerable thing. So that makes complete sense to me. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming and for having this conversation. And um, I think it will be really helpful to people, especially I, I intend to post this on Valentine's Day when we're getting inundated with messages about love and romance. And so I hope this can be like a bomb to some people um, when uh, when thinking about real love and their their experiences of love, which are not just uh, candy hearts and all that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Victoria. It was really good to have this conversation with you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening to the Perennials Podcast. I'm Victoria Russell. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and leave a review on iTunes. It really helps other people to find the show. You can follow along on Instagram at Perennials Podcast, and feel free to send me an email at perennialspodcast at gmail.com. The song you're hearing now is I Orbit the Moon by Paul Finn.